Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. In this week's show, rising energy prices due to the cold weather. Britain is freezing and people are very shortly going to pay substantially more to keep warm. The climate summit in Cancun. This year we're not expecting an agreement. In fact, what the United Nations and the other countries that are going are hoping for is simply that we don't have any massive rows. And skills shortages in engineering in the UK. You're listening to Energy Weekly with me, Sylvia Pfeiffer. We'll start this week's show with Engineering UK's annual report launched today, warning of an engineering skills shortage. To tell us more, we welcome the Chief Executive Paul Jackson as our guest this week. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. I just wondered if you could give us the main findings of the report. Well, the findings really come down into three areas. We've been looking at supply, we've been looking at demand, uh, and we've been looking at public attitude. So on the supply side, there's a real concern because of the fall in the number of 15 to 19-year-olds coming through and the decline in some areas, particularly in further education, of learner participation in engineering and manufacturing. Also, that's coupled with the lowest proportion of women in engineering of any European country at uh, less than 9%. There has been an increase in the number of students in higher education uh, of around 7% since 2002. So that's good news, but the picture is mixed. So it's something that needs to be worked on. And on the demand side, of course, there is a demand for the low-carbon businesses. There is a demand to replace retiring engineers and those in manufacturing, where we estimate between now and 2017, nearly 600,000 people will be needed, and typically with higher-level skills, technician and above-type skills. So there's a real issue there. And there are concerns, and perhaps confusion is the better way of putting it, in the public approach to engineering. On the one hand, seeing it as the key part of getting the country's economy back on track and yet not really understanding what it's all about. Is, is that because engineering has still got a bit of a, a, a bad image in a sense? I mean, does any youngster want to be an engineer these days or do they all want to be, I don't know, bankers or IT programmers? Well, I think there is confusion here and that's, that's one of the issues. And perhaps some of the, uh, the, the, the coverage of, of bankers' bonuses and the like has, has distorted the picture because pay is the biggest single issue that drives career choice for young people. And engineering is actually pretty well paid. In the top 20 graduate jobs, seven of those top 20 are in engineering, and chemical engineering is only just behind dentistry and medicine. And at a technician level, where there is a tremendous need in the future, on average, an engineering technician would earn around £4,000 a year more than their equivalent in non-engineering occupations. Right, okay. And are you actually saying that the UK won't meet its climate change targets if this skills shortage isn't addressed? 
we haven't specifically said that because there are lots of factors that will impact on whether the UK makes it its targets for carbon reduction. However, it's going to be really difficult for the UK to fulfil its potential in playing a role in that industry if it hasn't got the right skills available. So we've already seen some restrictions in areas like wind energy where there hasn't been enough supply of, of skilled people and more and more skilled technicians in particular are going to be needed to drive down carbon levels in the economy. Finally, what are you um, advising then that the government should be doing or industry should be doing to meet this gap? It's important that that we bridge gaps between what industry needs and what the education system is currently producing. And this needs to be involving uh, government and business working together. So more people coming out with level three skills, uh, where perhaps there are more at level two at the moment, bridging that gap, business and the education system can play a part in that. And for graduates, Work experience is incredibly important. Getting that first job is difficult. So some industrial experience as part of the the degree program would also be really relevant. Again, that's got to involve the education sector and it's got to involve business to make that successful. Thank you very much. We'll keep coming back to this topic because obviously it'll it'll keep um, being quite relevant um, as, as we head towards electricity market reform in the UK as well. Thanks very much. From engineering to energy prices, Javi Blas, the FT's commodities editor, and David Blair, the FT's energy correspondent, join me now. We've obviously all been suffering here in the UK and and the rest of Europe from early snowfalls, and that's had an impact on energy prices, which have soared. Javi, just tell us what's been happening on the wholesale price front. Well, the, the, the prices are beginning to react, particularly prices that they are more uh, close to continental and, and uh, continental Europe and, and the UK. So we have a, a big spike in power prices in, in the UK, the highest in 22 months, and also high prices in, in Germany and, and France in particular, where uh, electricity is, is uh, widely used as, uh, as a source of energy for heating homes. But beyond that, uh, we, we have, uh, again, price increases in natural gas and coal market is very well supported on, on the back of these freezing temperatures. So it seems that also the cold weather is beginning to have a more broader effect and even global oil prices beginning to react and we have seen oil prices trading very well supported about $85 that even is not the highest in the in the last two years but it is we have not seen these prices consistently above $85 in the past so it seems that it's beginning to have uh, at least a short-term impact. Why are coal prices in particular going up? Are we just sort of starting to use any kind of energy source we've got and coal coal is readily available? Coal prices are, are because two reasons. First, uh, stocks were relatively low in Europe, so uh, utilities are beginning to stock up, just uh, beginning to believe that there's going to be more demand for electricity through the winter because of the cold weather. The second reason is that as, as Europe is starting to need more import of coal, it's beginning to compete with other big players in the market, particularly China and India, that they are demanding huge amounts of coal this year. And supply are also struggling, particularly in the Pacific, due to persistent rains in Indonesia and, uh, and Australia. So the combination of all those factors have been more than enough just to push coal prices about $110 per tonne here in, in Europe, that is the highest price in two years. And, and David, if I can bring you in here, well, what does that mean for our sort of electricity bills? Have they obviously, have they gone up already or will we, will we be seeing that when, they, when we get the next bill at the end of the month? They are about to go up. Britain is freezing and people are very shortly going to pay substantially more to keep warm. Of the big six energy suppliers, three of them have announced price increases varying from 7% in the case of British gas to 9.4% in the case of Scottish and Southern. Now, most of these increases take effect next week. They take effect on December the 10th. 
So we're about to enter a period where keeping warm will cost a great deal more. And and what's happened with supply for energy to the UK? And you were looking at something this morning about gas supplies coming in from Norway, but not from Belgium. Yes, because of the increased demand, gas had to be brought into the UK via interconnectors from overseas uh, earlier today. For some reason, the interconnector connecting us with Belgium didn't bring anything at all. And it was Norway that stepped into the breach to keep Britain from shivering. And of course, this came at a price. Gas for delivery on Wednesday is trading at 62 pence per therm, which is 36% higher than the level of a month ago. One of the, the critical questions here that David is mentioning is, is the, the infrastructure. And traders have been telling me that one of the main concerns is that over the last two years, we have not seen any peak of demand either on power, gas, coal or oil, similar to the one that we are experiencing now in Western Europe. So the system is untested. And suddenly we are beginning to realize that the problems that we have in the past are re-emerging again. And that is making the market a bit more worried about the direction of prices. Are we not expecting more LNG capacity come to come into the UK next year? And so I'm just trying to think of whether, you know, does this mean the situation stays the same? or Indeed, we, we are going to see a lot more LNG capacity coming uh, not only to the UK, but to the rest of, of Europe, particularly from Qatar. And that should help supplies of, of natural gas in, in the region. One of the main concerns going forward is what could happen this winter if it's extremely cold between the situation between Russia and some of his uh, former Soviet Union neighbors, uh, particularly the Ukraine and the, and, and the states in uh, Belarusia and, and others. So the market is at the moment a bit nervous about the whole situation and I think that it's going to depend very much on the weather situation. But I was talking recently with a, a meteorologist who specialized on, on commodities and he said so something that I think that it's very important we remind ourselves. A cold week of November doesn't make a, a, a winter. So uh, still the winter could turn to be mild and warm. It's just that this one has surprised us and it is indeed very cold here in, in London and, and in the rest of Europe. But the main forecast, still the, the, the main outlook from the meteorologists is for a relatively uh, normal, regular, very similar to the last 10 years winters, nothing particularly cold. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed that they're right this time. Thank you very much. And to our final topic for today, Cancun and the Climate Summit. Fiona Harvey, the FT's environment correspondent, is as we speak on her way to Cancun, but I caught up with her yesterday to ask her what she was expecting from this year's climate meeting and whether expectations are actually low enough. Well, first of all, who's not coming will be world leaders. Last year, we had all world leaders came. We had uh, Barack Obama from the US, uh, Gordon Brown, then the UK Prime Minister, all of the uh, leaders of Europe. Uh, We had Wen Jiabao from China. That was a very, very big meeting. Uh, Of course, it ended not exactly uh, as people uh, there would have hoped. Uh, We did get an accord, but it wasn't as strong as many people wanted. This year everything is going to be much, much lower key. This year, we're not expecting an agreement. In fact, what the United Nations and the other countries that are going are hoping for is simply that we don't have any massive rows. Remind us what the sort of main divisions are and and which countries are sort of loggerheads over what to do about climate change. I mean, who are the main players? First of all, we've got the US and China. China is very keen to stress that it 
it is taking action on climate change, but China is reluctant to agree to certain things, um, such as international monitoring of its emissions and the idea that it would be treated as a developed rather than a developing country. The United States takes an opposing line because the US thinks that China should agree to more monitoring of its emissions, and it would like China to go further uh, in terms of emissions cuts the U.S., however, is in its own pickle because obviously we had the uh, the victory of the Republicans in the midterm elections recently, and the Republican Party is very hostile to taking action on greenhouse gases. So this is despite Obama having sort of talked up his green credentials when oh, he won yeah. the election. Uh, you know, that seems like a very long time ago now, really, uh, and it will seem a very long time ago to the delegates at uh, Cancun because uh, when Obama took office, uh, the US came storming into these long-running UN negotiations. These negotiations have been going on for 20 years, essentially. Uh, and for most of that time, the US has been seen as, as standing in the way. So when Obama was elected, his negotiators came storming in and said, everything has changed. That was then, this is now, and it looks like everything is, is back to the way it was. Uh, and essentially, we're in a position now where the White House will continue to negotiate internationally but obviously its credentials uh, for those negotiations in the eyes of other countries have been damaged. So if we're not likely to see any sort of binding agreement, is there anything, any other, any areas where we might see some sort of cooperation? An agreement on forestry. Now, there's a, a, a programme called RED, which uh, is R-E-D-D, and it stands for Reducing Emissions from Deforestation and Degradation. And what it means is essentially... It's a way of providing finance to poor countries that have forests uh, to compensate them for not chopping down those forests. This, incredibly, this agreement has taken essentially two decades to arrive at. Although a lot of the, the details of this forestry agreement might be sorted out at Cancun, the core question of where is the money going to come from is going to remain. Okay, thank you very much. That was Fiona Harvey speaking yesterday. She'll be reporting back from Cancun and we'll hear what progress the talks are making next week. And that's all we have time for today. All that's left is for me to thank my guest, Paul Jackson, Javi Blas, David Blair and Fiona Harvey. Energy Weekly was produced by LJ Filotrani. I'm Sylvia Pfeiffer. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.